A lot of great things going on at Northside. Truck or treat, as you heard earlier. Pray for the weather, okay? All right, and pray that God uses that to touch many, many lives as we follow up with those people, as we impact them even that night. We're on Facebook Live right now. Everybody say hello. hello. All right. We're also on Facebook Live on Wednesdays. If you want to check us out at noon on Wednesdays, check us out on Facebook Live. Also, many of you may not know, at 9.30, every weekday morning, we gather together, those of us who are available in the staff, to pray right here in the sanctuary. You're welcome to join us. We pray from like 9.30 to 9.45. We would love to have you join with us. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the opportunity to sing, to pray, to preach, to hear your word and respond to it. Glorify your name as we look at it together. And I pray for anyone who may not know for sure that they know Jesus, that today would be the day. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Question. How many of you know any really rude people? All right. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I live with one of them, right? <laughs> you ever meet any rude people out there in the world? You go to Walmart and um, you try to get in line at this 20 item or less line and you've got like 12 items but immediately someone cuts in front of you they've got 35 items and they don't care they're checking out right or you're minding your own business driving down the road and you think you're doing a good job and all of a sudden somebody zooms past you, cuts in front of you, and then they stop. It's like, stop, right? Everybody rude people out there in the world? How about in church? You ever meet any rude people in the church? You come, you're new, you sit down, somebody comes up to you and said, you're in my seat, get out. Don't you see my name on that pew? Or maybe you haven't been here very long and it's the greeting time. The dreaded greeting time that I love, some people don't. And you're new and you're standing up and all these people who are in the room are saying hello to one another, but nobody speaks to you. Or maybe they're super friendly during the greeting time. Then after the greeting time is over, they don't even act like they know you. Sometimes people can be rude. Well, today, we're going to talk about how to treat people in church. Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Young doesn't mean that he was 20. When Paul calls Timothy young, 
the New Testament word he uses for young can refer to anybody under the age of 40. But still, Timothy, compared to a lot of the people in the church at Ephesus, was young. Suppose you had a 35-year-old pastor at this church. You would say, we have a young pastor, would you not? Unfortunately, you don't have a young pastor. You got me, okay? But if you have a 35-year-old pastor, you'd think, man, this guy's young. Well, the church at Ephesus was probably a lot larger than this church. It was a very influential church in the New Testament, and Timothy is the pastor there. And it could have been an intimidating experience. In fact, back in chapter 4 of this same book, Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in life and speech and love and faith and impurity. So Paul recognizes that Timothy is a young man in a very important position. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives Timothy some specific instructions for how to treat three or four different types of people in the church. The first group Paul talks to Timothy about is the older men, and Paul says this in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. The King James calls the older man an elder, but the idea here is not so much an official title as it is to age. But even if it did refer to a title, the elders or leaders in the church were probably older men following the pattern from the Jewish synagogue. There may be times when Timothy would need to correct the older men, even the older leaders in the church, but this was never to be done in disrespect. Timothy's got to be careful and respectful in the way that he does it. Don't be rude, Timothy, especially with the older men. Timothy, don't harshly rebuke them. Treat them, Paul continues, as your father. Let me say two things by way of application. First of all, I love our senior adults. How about you? Let's give our senior adults a hand, okay? We love our senior adults at Northside. Many of you have been faithful to Jesus Christ, not only for a few years, but for decades, many, many decades. And you continue, even your 60s and 70s and 80s, to still be faithful in worship, to still be faithful in service, to still be faithful to follow Jesus Christ. And that means so much to me. It means so much to those of us who are younger than you as we see you continuing to follow Jesus Christ until the end. Don't you ever stop following Jesus. Thank you. The second thing that I would say in respect to this, as Timothy said, treat the older men like your fathers, is I'm very blessed to have a father, a dad, who was a godly role model for me growing up. I know not all of you had that, but I was blessed to have that. My dad was a deacon in the church. My dad was a Sunday school teacher in the church. My dad was a Sunday school director in the church, Carol. He was a a great man of God who led our family to follow Jesus Christ. And so when I think about senior adults in our church, I think many times about our parents, my parents, and about how I ought to treat you as I would treat my 
own mother and father. And that's what Timothy is being told here by Paul. Here in verse 1, Paul adds this. And treat the younger women or the younger men as your brothers. I grew up in a family with two brothers. How many of you have any brothers? Okay. You understand what I mean? Well, I'm a middle child, so that explains a lot. But I've got an older brother and I've got a younger brother. And my younger brother never got into a whole lot of mischief, uh, not nearly as much as my older brother. But my older brother, he, uh, as a child, would get into a fair amount of mischief. I remember when I was probably about four years old and he was six or seven. We are living in this house in St. Louis, Missouri, and he decided he was going to get all of our toys together. I remember these plastic bowling pins. Remember those? We'd get our toys together, and he would set them on fire, and he did. Well, thankfully, we didn't burn the house down. I, I remember some years later, I was probably 10 or 11. My brother was about 13, and there's this little boy who was maybe about five years old, and he would not leave us alone. We were camping, not really camping. We were staying in these little cottages. And uh, this little boy was about five years old, and he kept pestering us and kept pestering us and kept pestering us. And finally, my older brother had had enough. So he got a belt, and we got this little boy, and we tied him up to a tree, and we left. Well, his mama happened to be the owner of the cottages, and when she found him, she was not happy. Now, we didn't leave him for three days, okay, but maybe for ten minutes. But I've also found in having brothers that you can be a little bit more honest sometimes and a little bit more direct than you can be with your mother or your father. And so Timothy is being told by Paul to treat the younger men as your brothers. Now, that doesn't mean that you treat them with disrespect, but that you also treat them with love and kindness and respect, but you treat them perhaps a little differently than you would a senior adult leader in the church. Paul told Timothy to treat the older men like fathers and the younger men like brothers. And he told Timothy in verse 2 to treat the older women as mothers. Similar principle here as with fathers. I have a very godly mother, which I'm blessed to have. Right now she's in the nursing home and she's not able to function the way that she normally would. But nobody loved Jesus and nobody loved Southern gospel music more than my mom did. And uh, she still has this very, very special place in my heart and that she always will. And I think about you older ladies in the church and I think I need to love you in a similar way to the way that I would love my mother. In verse 2, Paul continues by telling Timothy to treat the younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, why did Paul add this specific reverence, reference here to purity? Why does he tell us? Well, he really doesn't say why, but I'll give you a list of some possibilities. First of all, Timothy was young. He's a young man, probably in his 30s, and he's human. Probably has his hormones, his testosterones going on in his body like most young men do. He would likely be tempted by other women if he's not careful and he could fall into sin. And Timothy says, or is told by Paul, to treat the younger women as your sisters. Timothy was also single. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have a family. And so he was 
seen by others as being available, and that could sometimes perhaps get him into trouble if he's not careful. And pastors are very visible in the congregation. I remember when I was on staff at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and I was in my 30s, and I was single. I hadn't been there very many years until I built a new house. And one Sunday morning, shortly after I had built the house, the associate pastor, Brother Bill, got up in the pulpit, and he said this. He said, listen, ladies, Kevin has just finished building a new house, and he needs some lady to go over there and help him to decorate it. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not going to be good. There was another young lady in the church at that time, and I guess she kind of liked me. And um, so one day she asked me if I would go to a college basketball game with her. And I said, okay, I'll call her Leah. And I I said, that's fine, Leah. But I didn't really want to go with her, but I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And so I was kind of stuck there, and I didn't want to give her the wrong impression So I called Monika, who was kind of a friend of mine at the time, my wife now. I called Monika and said, hey, you want to go to a basketball game? And I called Dia back. Leah, sorry, I said her name. Leah back. (laughs) None of you know her. I called Leah back and I said, hey, can you get an extra ticket for Monique? She's like, okay. So I pick Monique up first. And then I go pick up Leah And when I pick up Leah, Leah's getting ready to sit in the front seat by me. And then I open the seat up and I put her in the back seat of my two-door car. And she is not happy. Well, Monique reminded me this morning, that didn't just happen once. That happened twice. Well, the second time that I did that to Leah, she had a conversation with Monique after church. She said, I want you to know you stay away from him. He is mine. You can see how that worked out, okay? Pastors are also sought out often by vulnerable people. People are struggling in their lives. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks. Maybe they're going through emotional uh, trouble in their life, and they want to talk to somebody, and the pastor is often sought out by those people, and he seems so nice and so compassionate and so kind. It's like if you only were married to him for a while, you know that's not really the case. But anyway... um, Pastors can be vulnerable, okay? They can be sought out by vulnerable people. And if the enemy wanted anyone in the church to fall, who do you think it would be? The pastor, right? So Paul tells Timothy to be careful. Treat the younger women in the church as sisters with all purity. Paul continues in verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Back in New Testament days, there was no social assistance from the government, no Social Security, no Medicare, no Medicaid, and the elderly widows could not adequately provide for themselves financially. So the church was instructed to help members of the church who were truly in need. 
But the church was not the first line of financial help. First, for those who are able-bodied, they had to help themselves. Second Thessalonians says this, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now, Paul did not say if a man cannot work, but if a man has the ability to work physically, emotionally, in order to be able to hold a job mentally, then that person needs to work. And don't just put people on a, a roll or a dole and just pay them if they're not willing to work. Now, if a man cannot work, that's another story. The first line of help was get a job. The second line of help was family. If your parents took care of you, then you have an obligation to take care of them. Paul makes that pretty clear in verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. How many of you would agree that's a pretty strong word? Again, they didn't have Social Security or Medicare or other government assistance like we do today. But many times in our world, our parents don't need us so much financially as they do emotionally. I know that's where I struggle. My parents are very well off financially. They don't have any financial issues. But emotionally, they need my brothers and I to stay connected in their lives. And they don't live in E-Town. They don't even live in Kentucky. They live in Missouri. And it's a challenge for me to continue to stay involved and connected in their lives the way that I need to and the way that they would want me to. I try to call and talk to dad at least 15 minutes a day and try to talk to mom also in the nursing home, though she has a difficult time communicating. But there's a part of me that's torn because it's like I can't be there as much as I need to be there and I can't do everything that I need to do. And that should always be there. You younger adults, especially those of you who had moms and dads who took care of you, you continue to be invested in their lives as much as you can because you have a responsibility, an obligation to look out for them. Now, all of these principles, I think, are pretty clear. Paul didn't tell Timothy to help everyone in the world financially. That would be humanly impossible. Paul does not even charge Timothy to help every church member. In verse 5, Paul told Timothy, these are the people your church is to help. The widow who is really in need and left all alone, who puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. There are a number of qualifications here. First, there are to be people in the church. Paul's not talking about helping people out on the street. We'll get to that in a bit. He's talking about helping people who are in the church. Second, they were people in great need. If you're a widow during the first century, it'd be extremely difficult making enough money to take care of yourself. A third qualification for this person was that they lived a godly life. This person was a person of prayer, depends upon God. She would be a role model of character in the church. Paul told Timothy that she had to have a good reputation. Verse 10 says she should be known in the church for doing good deeds. Very high qualifications here again. It was a different culture and a different financial system, and this was ongoing help. Now let's make a few final applications. First of all, benevolence ministry in the church is a difficult thing. Amen? 
I certainly don't have the perfect answer. No doubt everyone who has done very much benevolence ministry has been taken advantage of. It'll happen to you. I remember when I had first started at my first full-time church on staff in Lancaster, South Carolina, the pastor received a phone call. There was a, a lady who needed some help paying for her gas, and she wanted cash. Well, Pastor Cutno was a wise man. He said, Kevin, you come with me. So he and I drove to the gas station, and when we got the station, we put gas in a car and held about two gallons. That was it. I remember a few years ago, there was a lady who called the church, and I thought she was legitimate. And uh, she needed some gas, and she wanted some other things, and I filled her tank up with gas, and, and it came to find out that she was hitting church after church after church with all these different things. About three weeks ago, I was going to McDonald's. I go there just about every day, get a double hamburger and a Coke. Sometimes I splurge to get a small fry. Once in a while, I get a side salad, and that's about it. All right. The Cokes are good, and it's cheap. All right. And so, and they got a free newspaper there, too. No, I don't have any stock in McDonald's, okay. But anyway, I was going over there the other day, and uh, I saw this person, this homeless person with a sign. And I thought, you know, I drive past these people like many of you do all the time, and I don't stop and help. And I thought, I'm going to stop and help this person today. And, and so I drove into the McDonald's parking lot, and I walked all the way over across the road to talk to this person. And I, I said, hey, I'm getting ready to go into McDonald's. I'll get you some food. What do you want? And reluctantly, they said, uh, how about a a hamburger and a Coke. I said, you want some fries? want more food? I'll get you anything you want. I said, that, no, that's good. So I went back into McDonald's. I said, I'll be back in about 30 minutes. I'm going to eat, and then I'll bring you some food. So I go in McDonald's, and I eat, and I'm sitting over there by the window, and I look out there, and the person doesn't look like they're there. So I look again, I look again, and, they're, and so I thought, I don't think they're still there. And so I, I got up out of McDonald's, and I walked over to where the person was standing, and they were gone. They didn't even stay to get food, so I guess that's not really what they wanted. If you try to help other people out, some will take advantage of you. Jesus told to be as wise as serpents, as harmless as dove. I get that. But Jesus also said, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I don't know about you but I would rather be taken advantage of a few times than I would to miss some people who are in great need. Well, how do you put this all together? I don't have a simple solution, but I do know we need to do something to help people. In the Northside Baptist Church, that's what we try to do. Do we miss people occasionally who have legitimate needs? I would say yes. Do we ever help people who are bilking the system? I would also say yes to that. Not on purpose in either case. And we try to be both compassionate and wise. And your church does, I believe, a very good job in that balance. And I give Donna Kugel, my secretary, a lot of credit there. How many of you know Donna? A lot of you do. She is one of the most compassionate people that I know. 
but she's also wise and she knows the system. And so she is a great combination of balance there. We also have a ministry that we do called Room at the Inn. How many of you ever heard of Room at the Inn? Some of you have participated in that. It's a great ministry. In December, January, and February, every single night, one of the churches in our area is open for homeless people to come in and get a warm meal and a warm place to spend the night, many times a shower. Well, we don't really have a great facility for that. So what we do is we partner with Grace Heartland Church, and we provide the food, and they provide the place to stay. It's a great ministry, and if you've not been involved in that, we would love for you to get involved in doing that. Sometimes you have to help people physically before you can help them spiritually. I think Jesus did that, and so did the apostles, and so we have some really good company there, do we not? The most important goal is sharing with people the message of Christ, though. That's where a lot of more liberal churches miss it. They're great at taking care of people's physical needs. They're great at doing compassion ministries, but many times they stop short of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every person that we help physically one day is going to have another physical need. Every person that you help get food one day is going to be hungry again. If you get them clothing, they're going to need clothes again. And even if they get back on their feet and they're able to take care of themselves and have a great job and a great life on this earth, if they don't receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whether rich or poor, that one day you will go to a horrible place called hell. But Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin so that you might have life with him forever and ever in this amazing place called heaven. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I encourage you, I plead with you today, give your life to Him. Place your faith in Him. You can't earn it. You can't work hard enough. You can't go to church enough in order to be right with God. But what you can do is, by God's grace, turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for you. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the dead and you're willing to give your life to him, you can have life abundant and eternal. Amen? And if anybody here has never received Christ, I pray that today is your day. And for all of you who have received Christ as Savior and Lord, I encourage you to follow. With all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Does that mean that life's always going to be easy? No. Does it mean that nobody's ever going to be rude to you? No. Does that mean you're never going to be rude to anybody else? No. But what it does mean is that there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is life, and there is joy, and there is power for living that this world knows nothing about. And if you will receive Christ into your life and you will follow him and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he can use you to do incredible things 
in this world. So why would we not want to join it? Would you pray with me?